Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's conversation is with Jonathan Brown from Edinburgh, Scotland, and Liang Sun from Shanghai, China. They are both business consultants and have created a positive business relationship. Jonathan is a senior executive and industrialist who has worked in seven countries, started five companies, two for himself and three for employers. His passion for China started back in 1983 and it is now his base. Liang is a startup management consultant who has been educated in Belgium, India and the USA and since returning to his native Shanghai has built his own management consultancy that specializes in client and partnership development, market intelligence, due diligence and human resources. Together they have formed a team that can bridge the gap to enable startups and established companies gain a foothold in China. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Hi, I'm with Jonathan and Liang. Um, they're two consultants I've met here in Shanghai, China. Who wants to introduce themselves first? Okay, I'll start. I'm Jonathan. Um, I'm 57 years old. I'm married. I have two kids, although they're not quite kids now, they're 28 and 26. I'm very happy to, to describe myself as being Mr. Average, um, but I've been a very lucky person. Um, I'm very passionate about business development. I'm an industrialist, so things to do with customer-to-customer -customer business type of thing is something that is probably beyond me. I'm much more traditional than that. Um, and in my uh, comfort zone, I'm very keen on certain models in business, which I think work for me, and they tend to rely very heavily on relationships with suppliers and with customers. I've lived in seven countries, and I've visited lots more than that. I started two companies for myself, and I've started three for my employers, um, which includes factories as well as uh, trading companies. I've been at a very senior level in some of my companies and have restructured companies in Europe and in Asia and in fact at one level at a global company level. Um, and my passion with China started in 1983 when I was visiting Hong Kong and took a day trip over the border to a very small place called Shenzhen, which of course we know today is one of the greatest metropolitan cities in the world. I then came back in 1994 to Shanghai, or actually the first time to Shanghai was in 1994. And I came to um, with a delegation of people and we opened a factory here. Um, I then came back very often because then I lived in Hong Kong, so to come to the mainland was very easy. So in 97 and 98, I used to visit often. Um, and I then came to live in Shanghai in 2004 and the biggest mistake I ever made in my life was leaving Shanghai then to, to go and work in another part of the world. 
So in any case, when I could, which was three years ago, uh, Neville, I came back to live in Shanghai. So um, that's a quick, quick round of uh, where I've been and who I am. Okay, thanks very much. And Liang, can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Liang San. I'm 28, born and raised in Shanghai. I was educated in Belgium, India, and the United States with master's degrees in economics and in global management. I returned to Shanghai three years ago after graduation, and previously I was working in a couple of foreign-owned companies in China in sales or consulting roles. I started my own company two years ago because I noticed the increasing number of foreigners coming to China, exploring the opportunities and looking for local partners. Uh, despite the great service or product that they bring to the market and the fact that they have been successful in their home country, they often encounter difficulties when they do business in China. And I think that the experience and skills that I've developed as well as the fact that I'm bilingual and bicultural, I can really help to serve as a bridge for international business um, to China coming from the West. So, and my passion is exactly doing so. So, this is who I am and what I do. Okay, thanks very much. So, we're here today because, um, from what I know, you work as a team and you've got ideas on what people should do when they're doing business in China. So, who would like to start first with the first? Well, let me, let me kick off. Um, the, the first thing that we're going to talk about, Liang, is the, uh, what's our experience and understanding of relationship and trust in China. Um, and to me, I've already explained that I've been quite international in my career. Um, and therefore, you know, there's, there's local differences. But you know, the core of relationships is about respect, and respect is very important here as it is everywhere. So you know, let, let's just cut to the chase and say, you know, is there a difference between the relationships here and elsewhere? Yes, of course, there's a different way of going about building relationships. And if you follow these step paths, then it's a good way of uh, giving yourself a foundation in China. But as a businessman, and I'm going to sort of come back to this role all the time, um, you know, my experience is that, yes, you respect everybody, um, and that's a very good place to start. It's a very positive starting point. But I always add to that the caveat that trust comes with verification. So before any investor is going to put money, whether it's a foreign investor or a local investor, there have to be safeguards and controls in the business. And those controls, as I say, are trusts with verification. So you need controls in business to make sure that the business is driven properly and is built upon relationships and using those relationships in the proper light. And, you know, I'm not an expert as, you know, I've made my mistakes and everything, but the principles that I've kept too are all about the, these two things, respect everybody and trust with verification. When we were talking about this earlier, uh, Liang, we were talking about you know, business and, and personal, and we realized that in this context, this is absolutely about business. And, but the principles are quite similar in terms of building relationships over a period of time. Yes. We talked about the time that it takes to build those relationships, and you've got some very clear thoughts on that. Yes, I think uh, one of the 
difference how to form a relationship is the fact that in general uh, the Westerners um, is are more likely to be transaction oriented. And what does that mean? They tend to when they do business deals, they tend to walk into a door, figure out a deal, sign a contract, and do the deal and just get out. And then they use these transactions as building blocks towards developing some kind of relationship. So the building blocks are transactions. The transactions is what they buy, what we sell. It's very arm's length. But here in China, um, it's difficult to generalize, but I think it's helpful to say that we, uh, most of us tend to be more relationship oriented. What does that mean? We would like to work with people that we know very well, we like and respect. To us, transaction is not really business. This is part of the reason that um, Westerners always uh, encounter problems because um, before we do a transaction with some with someone, we want to and we have to know who they are, where they live, and we have to figure out whether we respect them and like them before we starting. And this is a cultural awareness that um, um, would be very helpful for a foreign business owner to know. An example would be to uh, a month ago, I was with an American client for some factory visits with suppliers. They already um, work each other for a few years or some suppliers, they recently start working with each other. Other than the factory visits at the daytime, my client really spent time having meals with them or um, doing some different forms of entertainment, which they don't have to because they have, have to go through the jet lag and they need proper sleep, but they really make use of this week working probably 15 hours a day to get to know the supplier and for the suppliers to get to know them because they realized that the friendship is helpful uh, forming a business relationship. So why do you think there is that difference between the way the Western concept of being transactional and the Chinese creating a, a more friendly base? Why do you think that is? It's a cultural difference. I think from the Chinese perspective, um, one point that I made in my article is the trust is in the Western countries, um, people trust each other until uh, there's evidence showing that uh, trust cannot be given to this particular person. But in China, uh, we start not trusting until we get enough information and evidence that this person can be trusted. So before this uh, stage can be made, we talk to the other person, we test them out. Um, it takes time, but it's necessary for us before we make any decisions. And then once the friendship is formed, does business proceed at the same pace? Yes, and probably even faster because this person would cut you into their network, and which is very closed with only the people they know them well and they trust well. And then you are really in a heaven of having more people that you can trust and trust you. So once you've built that trust, you can then leverage that and um, use that person, the, the Chinese person's network 
to even speed up your own business processes. Yes, yeah. and uh, one of the reasons is probably because the legal system here makes it difficult for business owners to claim when the other party does not respect the agreement. So trust is more important in China when doing business and that is why it's more relationship-based. Okay, very good. So having lived in China, Europe and the USA, um, what do you think are the differences in creating business relationships? I've heard you mention patience. How does that differ between what you've experienced abroad and what you've experienced and your experiences in China? I already made some points uh, in the previous question and the principle of building business relationship is uh, same everywhere. It's just in China it takes a bit more time. This applies because in the US or Europe I tend to trust people with uh, making decisions or making business deals but here I want to get to know them first and uh, but I also re realized that a lot of businessmen are aware of that point they know that if um, a CEO really wants the operation to get kicked off in six months and uh, the, the country manager can't do nothing but just find any partners that he can find rather than finding the right partner and then um, your partner will know how desperate you are and will leverage it to make uh, future troubles. So being patient, take your time in, in China uh, would be very helpful. Jonathan, do you find you have to be more patient here in China than other parts of the world? Um, I, I don't, is my answer to that. Um, but I probably should consider being more patient than I am. Um, but you know, my, my thoughts on this is that I think we're sort of programmed. We're programmed by the environment that we are most accustomed to. And even though adapting is something that you have to do, the adaptation process can take a long time. So in my particular circumstances, I think I quite enjoy recognizing the different etiquettes that people have or protocols that people have and I find that really quite interesting and I find it really quite interesting to talk about it which is maybe part of the process of building the relationship um, but I, I, I certainly put my hand up and, and say undoubtedly Neville I would have done better than I have done if I had shown more patience um, and I think there's one example that I think I would completely agree with Liang um, I am very happy to do business with people I just don't like. If a deal is possible, I just don't think about it at all. Whereas what I've really understood with the empathy that people here give to each other, you wouldn't do that here. You're going to do business with people that you enjoy, that you trust, that you work with, that you, you've formed a relationship with. I have no problems at all doing a deal with somebody I don't like. How do you see the government's role in China? Jonathan? It's, it's a very open question, Neville. Um, the answer, of course, is that um, the role of government in China is very different to the government of our country. And that's a consequence of the history of our country and the, the history of, of China. Um, what 
when, when Liang and I were talking about this earlier, what, what's evident is that the power of just say the Cameron uh, government in, in Britain just now is, is quite unique. I mean, a, a law that is required by David Cameron and his party can get passed and it becomes law and there is some form of opposition. But in effect, they have complete control and complete power. Of course, the difference is that we have elections every five years so that governments in Britain can uh, redress any imbalance that has taken place in the previous government. And therefore, what we don't get, but what China does get, is an incremental change, which has got a long-term perspective. So I think a business person coming into China should understand that there's been a remarkable um, continuity or um, rollout of plans. And, and I think Liang's going to talk about that a little bit. But in what you have here is a um, an authority which is absolute. And there is no benefit at all in questioning that. It is a functional government which feeds and controls a huge population in a huge country. I wouldn't get frustrated with that. In fact, I found that the clarity of the government's uh, position here is remarkable. And the fact that they spend a lot of time publishing and, and commu communicating the five-year plans in all the different aspects and have absolutely um, succeeded in, in communicating well. So, you know, I wouldn't be frustrated. I think what business should, businessmen should do is recognize that sure, there's a difference. And that difference, whether it's good or bad to you, makes no difference. This is the system here. Um, what can you add to that, Liang? Um, I think when you say people complain about the government, um, it might be with their visa issues, which I also complained the Belgian government when I was there. But I think what we are talking about here is uh, how the government um, influence the economy and, and the business, which I think um, the Chinese government, which is represented by the Chinese Communist Party, has hands on every part of the economy and business here in China. And um, most of the uh, sectors or industries that are promising uh, in the nation only because the government wanted to go well. This is why I think it's really important for business owners to look into the 13 five years development plan, uh, which will be published later this year because it will come with the general guideline framework as well as tell us what are the attractive sectors and projects. If your business is in the guideline, you will be sure to receive incentives, investment, support or even subsidies from the government or other parties. And I also hear from uh, people saying that the games here is not fair. The local government of Chinese national government might uh, have um, different advantages towards foreign companies. But if your company is going towards the same direction as the Chinese government want you to, you will be on the favorite side of this unfair game. Yeah, I think what um, some people forget um, is that to steer a country as large as China um, from where it was 30 years ago to where it is today is probably a very difficult job. 
and a lot of thought and planning has to go into it. And a mistake um, can have serious consequences. So maybe sometimes caution is preferred to a gung-ho attitude. In our discussion earlier, yeah. uh, we touched on this because I think this is an important point to make. And you know, I, I state that I'm a liberal. I'm a I'm a democratic liberal. Um, the the Communist Party doesn't work in isolation. It has a huge network of members who contribute regularly on the evidence that they see in their routine working life. So the, um, there is not, perhaps to us, there may be a perceived unilateral decision-making process by a process in Beijing, but the input of information and values into that decision-making process cannot be underestimated. It is a huge machine. So it is a very well-connected central government with a, a huge population, which is something that I think a lot of people do forget. And I think the most important point in this particular discussion is the fact that um, you know the government is clear that there are certain industries, there are certain sectors, there are certain geographies within the country which need to be prioritised. And it really is up to the business people to follow the guidance and the direction that the government is giving to to generate the revenues that they're looking for in their business. So, you know, it's not, it's not something that I now see as being out of sync. I actually see it very much in sync. And I think the point that I made earlier about the sort of five-year holiday that we have in, in, in Western politics, in Britain in particular, what we have in China is this wonderful continuum where corrections are made. But we don't have the sort of huge chuck and change, you know, that we have from Labour and then Conservatives, say, in Britain. Thanks for that. Let's move on now. You've both got experience now in China and you've seen things being successful and you've also seen things break down. Let's look at what causes a business relationship to break down in China. What do you would say was the main reason? Well, in this particular situation, Neville, I would like Liang to answer first. Well, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I think um, uh, business breakdown for different reasons. It might be either uh, of the um, parties got bored with the relationship. It might be they find out after one or two meetings that they have a better alternative or there is um, a potential conflict, conflict of interest, which they didn't find before. But, um, but the fact is, um, the point I want to make is it has nothing to do with China. It could happen everywhere. And um, one thing worth mentioning is because of the cultural difference, the importance to understand and respect the business ethics is very important. We talked this uh, earlier the, uh, the other day that how to give Chinese people face, which is means in Chinese. Uh, it's very important for the Chinese people. And if you um, don't respect it, you will be seen as rude, which is not good for uh, a business relationship. Okay, so Jonathan, I think he's handing over to you now. Well, <laughs> exactly the point. I mean, I completely understand the sort of conflicts of interest or different priorities or whatever it is. That's just good business sense. 
But the point that uh, Liang has touched on there at the end is you know, about you know how the relationship is seen in public, and I'm I'm completely Western in this. If somebody's got some negative feedback from me, I take it on my you know I don't like it. I feel uncomfortable with it, but I don't think it's the end of the day. In fact, you know I might learn from it. Whereas I think that's just a normal. Everybody must feel the same thing. But I think what it seems here is that in Asia and in there. Also in China, the the loss of that face is a little bit more damaging. I think I think it's a, a relative issue, but I think it's a noticeable issue in in the Chinese culture. Do you modify your own behaviour um, in your own interactions? Do you modify your own behaviour in your own interactions? That's a really interesting question. Um, my natural instinct is not to, but of course there are circumstances where I have. And what I probably have decided not to do is to say I've just not said anything. I've just allowed an issue to go by. Whereas my training would be to have a one-to-one -one or a team meeting together to try and sort out a problem. So I've probably adapted, but it's not my core reaction. My default reaction would be to say, look, you know, there has to be a good reason why you've done that. Tell us why it is. You know, and that is not perhaps the right approach here. And at the end of the day, we, you know, we're all human, we all make mistakes, so I think it's just the, um, the, the soft skills in terms of trying to get the best from people, which is, if you're a good manager or a good leader, that's where you're really going to be on top of your game. My input to that would be soft skills everywhere are important. And if you understand that um, calling somebody out in public over something that they may or may have done, not done correctly, I try and avoid that. And that could be based on the experience I've had in China now. You know, I've been here 13 years and I've been in different situations where I have caused so many embarrassment and it's had an effect on me. And I've had to backtrack or find a solution to that. So I think it's something that you can learn. Um, but it does take time, and when you're used to doing something in a certain way, it's difficult to change, or it can be challenging to change at least. Absolutely agree. I always advise um, my clients not to change because it's more important to be uh, culturally aware of the difference. Because if you change your behavior, you are making yourself uncomfortable, which is not good in the long run. Um, and the we Chinese also recognize the cultural difference. So if you behave um, differently, we were we will understand because you are being yourself, which comes from a different culture. So I think it's more important to be aware of the cultural difference and uh, make sure that you don't uh, make certain mistakes, which are. Um, not in line with the Chinese culture or the Western culture for Chinese businessmen. I mentioned before that you're, you, you work in partnership, you work in partnership. And Jonathan, you're from Scotland and Liang, you're from China. So how does that benefit you in terms of a partnership? Um, long, long answer to a short question. Um, we've worked very hard and taken a long time to get to where we are. 
And in that time, we've we started well. We've had some downside. We've had some upsides. We've had, um, like any relationship, um, some some real challenges. Um, but the benefits of any partnership are obvious to to people in business. So, sorry, the question was, you know, what what are the advantages? Or as a as a partnership, you being from the West and Liang being from China. Well, um, I've got a lot of questions that I don't have answers for. And in fact, it's a very long list of questions. So I need to seek counsel. And, you know, Liang has a very balanced view on a Chinese perspective. And therefore, the answers are always easy to understand. And if it needs a bit of debate or dialogue or whatever, then Liang is willing to, to go through that journey with me so that I really do understand it. So from my point of view, that's the answer. I mean, I've got lots of questions. I need somebody to help me find the answers. And how do you find the partnership, Leanne? Um, I think um, the benefit would be we have different skill sets, which are complementary with each other, which is very important in a partnership. And also, when I work with a foreign business owner and uh, I, there are certain things I don't understand because of the cultural difference. Um, I can come to Jonathan, he can think from a Western uh, perspective, which is very helpful. So, um, I just want to touch on one thing, the age difference. I mean, you are a reflection of the rapid change in China. Um, many entrepreneurs, many business people in China are younger than their Western counterparts. Do you find that an issue or how do you come to terms with that? I've never thought of it. Yeah? yeah. I mean, maybe, what, what about you? Um, I think I, uh, it was a problem for me because in the Chinese culture, uh, you, uh, we value uh, seniority. Yeah. So if I'm dealing with someone uh, twice as old as I am, uh, I might get nervous, I might have to want to bow more with my head. But I overcome this problem when I was living overseas, while when um, people, everyone, just normal people, um, whether you are a grandpa or a CEO or a governor, I met them all and I treat them like just any other normal people. So I never thought about this issue when I work with Jonathan as well. So just dealing with a partnership, which yeah. I really enjoy. Yeah, because um, my experience of being in China is that age is to be respected and it's one of the things that can cause a relationship to break down. I feel that your exposure to living abroad um, has enabled you to understand how Westerners see um, age in term, as, a as a neutral factor. It doesn't matter, it's more the knowledge, more about the... Um, intent the business relationship rather than saying oh you're younger than me i'm older than you therefore you should do as i do you know you should follow me because i'm older so i think that that for me is something that i can identify here that your experiences have added that and helped that yeah. although when i deal with um, traditional chinese business owners what i usually do is i um, stand back Revaluate re myself for a few minutes because I have to 
respect the fact that in their point of view, seniority should be respected. So, um, and when I deal with them, I respect them uh, as the fact that they're a senior. Usually I wouldn't um, disagree with them in public because they have to make them feel comfortable. This is why I do differently, act differently when I you know, deal with Jonathan because I don't want him to be uncomfortable. Because um, in our relationship, we are just a two normal person who work each other. Now let's move on to uh, the next point. Um, China has changed very rapidly over the last few years. And in my opinion, um, the skills haven't kept up with the pace of change. And so it's resulted in a shortage of certain skills. So what would be the best approach to a company, to a business person, to an entrepreneur? What would be the right approach to finding somebody with the right skill and then keeping somebody with the right skill? How would you approach that? Yeah. I used to work in a multinational company. I used to work as a headhunter. I am now sometimes working as a headhunter for my clients. So I think one thing um, is good for attracting the right talents is working with a professional, like for example, a headhunter, who truly understand your business and your business challenge. They can help you to find out what type of talents, what type of skill sets you are really looking for because they think from the third party observer. Um, they might get a better understanding than you. They, and also um, in the recruitment process, um, it's um, good if you really take time to get to know the candidate and also give the opportunity for the candidate to understand you understand the, the line manager and get to know the team. I well, saw some company um, who usually give offers after two rounds of interview. One was the HR, the other was the line manager. This to me is like throwing someone into a laundry machine. The fact that you are actually looking for talents and working in a team, chemistry is everything. I would encourage uh, everyone to spend time in a third or fourth or even fifth interview to talk to everyone that you will be working close with to see if you like them or not. Do you want to spend time with them in a work or after work? And also when uh, the person is on board, the proper and adequate induction is as important or even more important than the recruitment itself because a good talent a bright talent can be not functioning if you don't do the induction and that might drove him away. But if you induct themselves well, um, you might find there are certain skills that you didn't realize this person can do more than uh, you told them to do. So, so taking time in the recruitment process, um, hire professionals to help you and do provide adequate inductions are what I think for attracting the candidates. Jonathan, what's your experience of companies and recruitment and retention of talent? Um, I've had a lot of experience. I've employed, with all the companies I've started, I've employed hundreds of people 
And I completely agree with Liang and the point about the induction of new recruits into a company should be the best part of running the business, getting somebody into the company, telling them how you do things and uh, how the company works, form the foundation of culture. And there's that expression, you know, culture eats, eats strategy for breakfast every day. Get the culture right in the company, you've got a chance of making a good company. Um, I guess the point, one of the points though is about getting the, the right skill sets. And the question then is, do you train the people if they don't, if you, if the individuals you have don't have the skill sets, you're going to train them anyway, you've got no choice. Do you then go specifically back to a specific recruitment for specific skill sets and then somehow fit them into the team? It's a management choice, but there's a cost. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about earlier was the um, attrition rate in some companies is huge. You know, for instance, we were talking about attrition rates of 25% or 30%, which in, say, London would be unheard of. If a company's got that level of attrition, they're not going to develop at all. They're on the slippery slope. What do you think is the cause of that? Well, it can be a number of things. First of all, it could just be the market conditions are just not attractive for anybody to stay in that sort of company in that particular sector. Um, that's an easy way of, of explaining why a lot of companies may have the problems. A lot of the problems are actually down to management and the way that a company works and communicates. That's why when we met you earlier, we we're talking about the art of communication. It's the most important thing. You're going to communicate with your customers your suppliers and your employees and your partners and, and, and peers. So, you know, the, 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 a very common problem will just be the lack of communication. So again, as Liang said, you can have a very talented individual in the company, but if the team's not working, you're not leveraging that skill. So, you know, the, this is a never ending problem. It's not a Sino problem. It's a problem that companies have across the world. How do you find and retain the most uh, skillful people, it's a, it's a juggling act is the answer. But we're absolutely sure that the induction is a very important part. The communication, the team building are the critical ingredients for successful companies. Can it be done in China? It is happening in China. There's some fantastically successful companies and they get the, they, they get the model right and they communicate and you know, there's lots of very, very good companies here. It's made easy because it's maybe in the, the one language or maybe the industry is very, very attractive. There's lots of experience here, but if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting up, all these issues have to be managed by you. And I guess as we were talking about the soft skills, this is where you've got to play your card. Bring the team together, make it work together, and then you've got a chance. You mentioned in that answer, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to manage it. Now, Many of the entrepreneurs that I've met, they're either solo or partnerships, two people working together, um, which means that they have to wear many hats. So can you just give some general advice to these kind of entrepreneurs in terms of what they can focus on or how they can develop themselves? Just anything that off the top of your head. Um, Edward de Bono, Seven Hats. Yep. Have you read it? Yes, I have, yeah. If you read that, you've covered it all. Okay, yep. so I'll put that in the show links. And Liang? I think um, for entrepreneurs who are starting out in China, I would encourage them to 
just come first because um, the, um, as long as you are confident in a China market and you're confident in the service or product, it's better to come right away uh, rather than spending time and money in a market research uh, because the, the, the market is changing so fast. By the time that you decided to come after three months, one of your competitors might already set up the operation. So timing is everything. Um, come first, find your partners, find your channels and the right people and uh, that's gonna help uh, growing your business here. Okay, thank you very much. And can you just let me know or let our audience know where you can be found? Sure. Um, please um, uh, visit our website www.liang.be and here you can where you can see what service we can provide and uh, our WeChat official channels is Liang and Co. One word that is Liang Co. One word. We publish some interesting articles, uh, topics, and um, um, things for uh, entrepreneurs and business owners to discuss about. You can also find me on LinkedIn, on Liang Sun, and I'm happy to have coffee with anyone who wants to do business in China. And Jonathan? Okay, um, well, first of all, you can find me either in Shanghai or in uh, Changshu, where I do work for the local government attracting foreign investors. Uh, we had a meeting earlier today bringing a, an international hospital to Changshu, but we also bring companies from all sectors to invest there. Um, my company name is New Links, but with a spelling which is N-U hyphen L-I-N-X, and that's dot com. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. My name is Jonathan McBride Brown. Okay, thank you very much, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.